We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcast. Now listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Stephon Diggs had an unbelievable touchdown catch in the drive prior. We're not going to talk about it all morning, but I think it deserves some credit here. Josh Allen was amazing in this fourth quarter. Found Beasley about four times on third downs, and then when they needed it most, went for it all. That's Patrick Peterson covering Stephon Diggs. There is basically a one, I don't know, foot window where you can throw this ball, and Stephon Diggs gets it, keeps his feet inbound. An unbelievable, this is the guy who had the Minneapolis Miracle. Yeah. Uh, to have two of these types of plays, yeah. the shame of it, of course, is that it's lost and forgotten in NFL history, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that that play also was worthy of it. It was supposed to be the game shot. winner. It should have been the game winner in a huge game that would have had the Bills 8 and 2 going into the bye week. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Peter Schrager from NFL Network's Good Morning Football talking about plays lost in the upsetting end to the Arizona Cardinals game this past Sunday. It was brutal. You didn't didn't have to bring me another bottle of Woodford Reserve, did you? (laughs) No, not this week. Ah, Because you were still an asshole. (laughs) So I thought thought I, I get one every week. That you are an asshole on Sundays. Listen, I tried. I tried my best to be good, and I think I think I was better, even incrementally so. If you don't see it, that's your fault, no, not mine. No, I don't see it at all. You were a real asshole. Obviously, in the third quarter, <laughs> you were the biggest asshole. Which is something we're going to dive into tonight. I don't see any reason to beat around the bush, Chris. Let's just dive right in. With the Week 10 recap 
Cardinals 32, the Buffalo Bills 30, and it starts with the stats of the game. Right now I'm looking at Josh Allen, 32 of 49, 284 yards, two touches, two picks, a 77.3 rating. Kyler Murray, 22 of 32, 245, a pick and a touchdown, and an 88.7 rating. Seems oddly low considering the trajectory both of these quarterbacks are on, no? Yeah, and plus if you listen to the national media, Kyler Murray is now the greatest quarterback that's ever lived. (laughs) Tyler Bass. Kicks good from 54, 55, and 58 yards. The longest kick by a Bills kicker since Dan Carpenter's 58-yarder back in 2014. Bills running backs. Moss, 2.85 yards per carry. Singletary, 3.7 yards per carry. As a group, seven targets, two receptions, negative eight total receiving yards. Tut and Dawson Knox. 70% of the offensive snaps, three targets, two catches, 16 yards, one penalty that wiped out a 21-yard gain. That nets him a negative five yards on the day. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, 202 combined yards, two touchdowns, 10 first downs, and one interception when targeted. Defensive back Teron Johnson, Nine tackles, eight solo, two tackles for a loss, and one sack. And the Buffalo Bills defense held the seventh-ranked scoring offense to field goals for the whole first half, which is the first time Arizona's failed to score a touchdown in the first half all season. Chris, that game was rough. Uh, Yeah, very rough. Did not like the ending, obviously. That's... You know what most people will focus That's on. That's an understatement. I mean, we yeah. have plenty of time to talk about that. But in terms of the day itself, I feel like 4 o'clock games are always weird. They are. We don't really see them that often. I mean, we are playing the NFC West and AFC West this year. So when four o'clock have a games, couple. When 4 o'clock games roll around, I, I feel like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights when he's getting interviewed for the first time where it's like, I, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. It's like I, it's one o'clock. I should I should have a beer in one or both of them, and yet it's not time yet. <laughs> What's happening here? I don't know how to navigate that. I mean, what do you do for four for for the late games? I mean, you came over probably about what halftime of the first games. Yeah, for the yeah for when we when we play at one and I leave like I just come back here. I sit on the couch. I make probably one final drink for the day. And I sit there and I milk it and I watch the whatever four o'clock game I have. And then you fall asleep early and you go to work like nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. generally. See, if you're me, what you do is you t- you don't go on Twitter. I've, I finished the days <laughs> of burning Twitter down, although we still managed to lose followers this week, which is hysterical to me. Yeah, you were you know you went with your your day bowl attacks and. No, no. Second so, half attacks. So then and then d- Nate Geary and Eric Turner from Cover One, you know. Well, here's what I Call love. you out for drinking. Here's what I love about that. When Nate Geary tells you to grow up, all I can picture is that YouTube video of the two guys arguing over Glenda the Witch in, uh, you've seen that viral video by now, where, grow up, Doug, grow up. <laughs> she came down in a bubble, Doug, and her prince. <laughs> In a bubble with a crown. I have not seen that one. 
<laughs> oh, you haven't seen anything. That doesn't shock me. But so, ultimately, it was a weird day. It was a tough day for football. Luckily, I had the next day off of work because I needed the Sunday night football game to really kind of find a silver lining to all this. But I got to tell you, I'm not as raw about it as I think people expected us to be. And here, here's where it starts. First of all, the defense is emerging even in a loss. Right? I mean, I was sitting on the toilet when I got the alert on my phone telling me that Josh Norman had tested positive for COVID and taken with him Levi Wallace and Dean Marlowe. A few, I, I, two, three minutes after I got that, my, my wife was knocking on the door of the bathroom asking what the hell I was laughing like a maniac, cackling about in the bathroom. Something that in retrospect absolutely makes me look like a lunatic. I mean, the shoe fits in that scenario, right? 100%. But nonetheless, we were going into one of the toughest matchups from a skill position standpoint we might see for the rest of the season. And a day after installing the game plan, you find out that you're now going to have to rely on an absurd number of backups to try to execute your game plan. So you can imagine how impressed I am sitting here knowing that in the face of that, our head coach and defensive coordinator were able to implement a game plan that provided what might have been their most impressive first half of football they've played in 2020. And despite some bumps in the road in the second half, put together an effort that against most teams, I think is probably going to get the job done. Chris, did you expect the score to be 16 to 9 at halftime? Uh, no, probably a, a little bit more high scoring. You know, what you said earlier, we only allowed him to field goals in the first half. I was not expecting that. No, no one was. Teron Johnson had potentially the best game of his career in the slot, both against the run and the pass. And he was instrumental in limiting yards after the catch inside the box. I mean, I have it here. What, do you have a chart? Oh, I have a chart. Oh, my God. You and your charts. All right, Chris. So as I spin my laptop around so that you can see this, what I have is I've charted every single play from Kyler Murray in that first half. You've got a problem. And I've got all the yardage here from each play. The total. Now, imagine if I told you. The, the, you just said it. The football world thinks Kyler Murray's the greatest thing on earth, right? Yeah, he's the greatest quarterback we've seen this year. So what if I told you that in the first half of that football game against the greatest quarterback, the greatest quarterback since sliced bread, I mean, he's replaced Lamar. I mean, this is Lamar Jackson level hype that this yes. kid is getting now. Yes. Only one deep pass attempt in the first half. 11 of 27 plays went for two yards or less. 15 rushing yards, accounting for the yardage lost in his two sacks. For a mobile quarterback, that's, that's pretty good, right? Sounds right. When you look, when you go back and you rewatch the game, one of the things that you see is our safeties are starting to do the things that they used to do. I don't know what was happening before. I don't know. Chris, I'm not going to go back and rewatch and try to postulate on weeks of film, but here's what I'll say. Remember how I was constantly lamenting on this podcast the lack of involvement of our safeties? Yeah. Even when you don't see them, one of the things that you go you go back and rewatch the game, if you pay attention, what you're going to get glimpses of is the safeties rotating. And they're coming down in the box now, and they're, they're doing the things that they did over the last two years. 
disguising form. You'll see Poyer drop down behind the linebackers into almost what looks like they're going to go with a cover one look. And then at the snap, he drops back into coverage deep. And now the quarterback, the play has dramatically changed in front of him, and he has to try to navigate that in real time with guys who are coming for his head. Now, as a mobile quarterback, Chris, I feel like that works against you. We've seen them do this to Lamar Jackson. Remember the game where Lamar Jackson was supposed to come in here and eviscerate the Bills' defense, and it didn't really happen outside of one broken coverage? Yeah, to a tight end. We played the same type of game this week against a more talented team. A more uh, wide, Their wide receivers are certainly more talented than anything Baltimore has. I don't think Baltimore has wide receivers. And <laughs> they just throw to their tight ends. And if they did, I don't think Lamar could find them. No. So, but, but no, I, I mean this. In all seriousness, those are the worst statistics in a first quarter Kyler Murray's put up all year. Our defense, our beleaguered defense. Missing guys, COVID. Missing players. That's the damning thing here. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at a team that is missing its number two, number three, and number two and number three cornerback, it's number three safety. Those guys give us so much flexibility, and without them, this team put on what might have been one of its best performances to date. Our defensive line was engaged in this one, and the ripple effect to our linebackers was clear. You you saw them being impactful. A.J. Klein. Another good game? Another good game. Wow. Look at this. Two in a row. A.J. Klein looks like a new player. I think I saw Eric Turner put something on Twitter that they've used him differently the last two games than they have the previous weeks. God bless him. And then our DBs were being aggressive against this uber-talented group of wide receivers that the Cardinals have. And I think, Chris, if there was anything that could underscore just how different this has been from anything that we saw out of this Bills defense over the first half of the season, it's that, that, that drive. The Cardinals are driving. They're down. It's third and goal. You're thinking to yourself, okay, where's White? Wait a minute. Why isn't Trey White shadowing DeAndre Hopkins? Oh, we're trusting Dane Jackson to cover to cover one of the premier wide receivers in all of football. That'll work out well. And he makes the play of his life, breaking up that pass. And he almost makes it look routine. Chris, I, everything that they did, they did very well in that first half. It set the tone. It let us get out to an early lead. In the second half, the Cardinals, being that Kingsbury is a solid offensive mind and that their their skilled players are legitimate, they changed course. They kind of found a new way to attack our linebackers in space. And combined with a concerted focus on runs in the interior with Drake, they started to pound away at our defense. And even then... There is no Josh Allen comeback drive if our defense doesn't ratchet down. If our defense lets them just keep marching the way that they had in the third quarter throughout the fourth, we're not even sitting here talking about a Hail Mary, right? Correct. They blow us out. They run us out of the gym. In the clutch, with the game hanging in the balance, our defense tightened up, and between Poyer's just absurd interception, which... That's that's one of the most fortuitous bounces I've seen for the Bills this season. Yeah, usually we don't get those bounces. No! 
followed by a pair of three and outs that saw the Cardinals only run, a, what was it, negative three total yards between those two drives, six plays, less than two and a half minutes a clock. That's a win. The defense was able to stop one of the NFL's most explosive offenses and buy their offense a, a chance at redemption. Isn't that, as a fan, all you can really ask your defense to do against an opponent like that? Yes. So I don't understand all the frustration. I don't understand why people are at home. Chris, when I say I've turned a corner, even if you can't see it, it's because I'm not angry. I'm looking at this going, you went up against the best. One of the best. Last week, you beat a very, very, very good offensive football team. This week, you went up against the team that was so good on offense, they beat that team. And you almost had it, and your defense was a huge part of that. If you walk away from it with anything, it should be that our defense is finally starting to play the type of football over the last, what, three weeks? Yeah. That we expected them to be when we came into the season, and they did it shorthanded. Give them a week to rest up, to get guys back off the COVID list. There's no telling what this team could be. Yeah, exactly. And we got, you know, after the bye, it's a rookie. And I'm quite confident with McDermott uh, scheming a defense against a rookie quarterback like Justin Herbert. Also, I've seen a lot of Josh Allen criticism. I've seen it. Oh, really? I hear hear it every Sunday when I watch football with you. And yet in the fourth quarter this week, we learned that Josh Allen, okay? I learned that against the Rams. Still clutch. Still got it. Yeah. Even the loss can't take away the fact that Josh Allen has it. He's got the goods, right? Correct. I mean, when you take a look at that, Chris, you know what I have here? A chart. I've charted his final drive. All the passes to Beasley and Diggs? Everything here. What you're talking about, Chris, with the score, 23-26, He gets the ball with three minutes and 43 seconds left on the clock to operate. You're coming off a series of failed drives. A a series of just, I mean, what? Up until that point, this is how things had gone for the Buffalo Bills in the third and fourth quarter. Punt, interception, punt, punt, interception. None of those drives were longer than three minutes and 30 seconds. Failure. Failure. And yet, his defense got him the ball back, and our quarterback takes the field and says, you know what, this is my drive, and I'm going to have it. (laughs) What is it about that he's incredibly fun to watch? Yeah, he is. You should uh, probably sit back and enjoy it one of these days. I'm in the moment, Chris. It's like I'm at the stadium. Yeah, but watching football with you, you can tell that you don't trust Josh Allen in the fourth quarter. And this week, like I said, every week I'm growing. If This if this we, week is the week where I finally woke up and said, look, this kid. If we get into this situation going forward down the stretch, you better be cool as a cucumber with Josh. <laughs> because I learned that with the, with the Rams game. That was a, the turning point for me where it's like, okay, Josh has this fourth quarter thing. He's got that it factor that people talk about. You can't teach it. He's got it. And he showed it on Sunday. He just left too much time on the clock for the Cardinals. I think the most impressive thing to me was this. 
At no point during that drive did he have back-to-back incompletions. That's noteworthy. We saw two third downs spanning three minutes a clock. He, he managed the clock well. And the drive, I mean, from the Buffalo 49 to the touchdown consisted of one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive completions against what you know is just a team dropping back into zone and hoping they can bait you into another interception. He was decisive. They gave him time. They didn't send pressure because they were hoping they could pick him off a third time and seal the game. And instead, Josh delivered, and not with his legs, not like we used to see in the past. He he showed that he's so attuned, especially to Beasley and Diggs. And I bet you if Brown was out there, he would have gotten him involved in the mix too. But just the impressiveness that, I mean, second and 13, he, he's not settling for checkdowns. How many times, Chris, throughout the Bills' history have we had to be checked down Charlies? All the time. Just because our quarterback didn't have the guts to pull the trigger. Yeah. Now I'm looking at a quarterback who on second and 13 goes, nah, we're not playing for third down. I want, I want that 17. And I bet you my wide receiver can make a play. That's, that is what we're going to need. If this team is going to do anything, make any kind of noise down the stretch. All I know is that this game, more so than, I mean, you, you said the Rams game. The Rams game was great. And I talked about it after the podcast, about how we need to accept that our quarterback is clutch. Sunday showed it to me, and I think it sticks because we didn't even win the game. We didn't win the game. And he's upset about it. He's upset at himself for not doing more sooner. But even in those scenarios, on the road in a hostile territory, it's easy to do it, Chris, I think, when you're at home. You don't have the crowd, you don't have fans, you don't have noise, you don't have what... To know that you can go on the road and still be clutch like that against, I'd say, upper echelon competition. Yes. I mean, a a team that's on track to win the NFC West. Yep. That's... I think that speaks volumes to what he is and where he is as a quarterback. And I gotta take a deep breath and take some of my own advice, Chris. Goosefraba. Now, something I will not calm down about, and something that I won't be apologetic about. The Bills' Jekyll and Hyde nature on offense rearing its ugly head again. Once again, this team has been what it's been all season. Up and down, and ultimately frustrating in a handful of regards that so many people in our fan base keep trying to explain away. Look at this. The Bills' first half offense, four possessions, one touchdown, three field goals, zero punts. Average plays per possession was eight. The average time of possession was three minutes and 18 seconds. Zero drives of less than seven plays. The Bills' second half offense, eight possessions, two touchdowns, no field goal attempts, four punts, four drives of less than two minutes of clock, One touchdown, two punts, and an interception on those four drives. An average time of possession of two minutes and seven seconds and five drives of four plays or less. Three and outs, they'll kill any football team. And that's essentially what you just committed to for an entire half of football. Is anyone shocked that the team, that the Arizona Cardinals were able to get the lead when you hear those statistics? No, not at all. We weren't weren't that good in... 
in the third quarter, as you like to. I mean, you don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to see that there is a massive disparity in efficiency there between that ours and our opponents. And much like last week, when I broke down the flow of the game with Nate Geary as the Seahawks took advantage of our offensive lull in the third quarter and almost took the lead, Arizona actually sealed the deal on it this time. And sure, people point to the Bills' defense. Okay, That, that was one of the things. Eric Turner from Cover 1 threw it at me that, well, the Bills, the Bills defense and the... Okay, they do, I, I will admit, that the third quarter Buffalo Bills have the worst, what is it, 28th out of 32 teams for DVOA in the third quarter for, for our defense, and that we're 31st in opponent scoring in the third quarter. But Chris, in an ever-progressing NFL, and specifically when you play off the offensive powerhouses that we have this season, the Rams, the Chiefs, the Seahawks, and now the Cardinals. Those are four football teams that you go into those games knowing they're going to score points, right? Correct. You can expect, I'd expect all of those teams to score over 25 points per game. They're smart. Yeah. They're smart football teams that have a lot of offensive talent. Great coaches. I mean, they get to analyze what your approach was in the first half. And if our defense was doing well... I mean, you're not going to change it a ton. Your defense is going to come out and say, okay, let's see if we can keep this rolling. So you're stuck waiting to a certain degree to see what the opposing team rolls out and then adjust on the fly to it. Great offenses and quarterbacks, they're going to do that to you. So I'm not shocked that coming out of halftime, a Bills defense that hasn't been very good, but is finding ways now, Chris. I mean, we, we showed good fourth quarter defense this week. We showed good first half defense. We put on a complete defensive performance, I think. I think. Allegedly. Against, against Seattle. I think we put on a pretty complete defensive performance that day. Yeah. Against the Jets, I think we put on a pretty complete defensive performance. You and I can put on a in complete the defensive half, performance in against the Jets. In the second half, where they were averaging six inches per play. <laughs> I think this defense is finding its feet. But... You can't just explain everything by blaming somebody else. It's blame shifting in my eyes. So I balk at anybody who would stand to criticize a Bills team that held the Cardinals to nine first half points and ultimately made enough plays down the stretch to help this team stay afloat. I mean, until that fateful final play, which we can all, we can criticize it all night, but no one wants to hear that. So many things broke down in that last play. And then their wide receiver made a phenomenal effort. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Meanwhile, the look for the Bills coming out of halftime was bad. And it fits this trend that we've developed now over 10 weeks of football. The Bills are 30th in third quarter scoring in the NFL, despite being number one in the first quarter and number four in the fourth quarter. We're 30th in second half rushing yard percentage of the total offense gained with 25%. It's the, it's the, what, Chris, third lowest in the NFL? 21st in third quarter time of possession share. And every, and this, this week, every second half rushing attempt came on first down. That's odd. <laughs> it's, it's hilariously predictable. That type of play might allow you to get away with victories against offensively limited teams. And on days when your defense is generating turnovers and getting stops consistently. But against playoff caliber teams, 
The thing that this Buffalo Bills football team has said, that that's their mantra, Chris, is be playoff caliber, right? The recipe that our offense is currently operating under, that's one that could cost you. That, that elusive postseason victory that this team is so badly chasing. And I believe that so strongly that I was willing to take cover one's Greg Thompson to task on Facebook Messenger and browbeat him about this until he was willing to make a bet with me. A bet. Chris, you know I'm an antagonist. Yes. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Bet, uh, well, people should know, know that we, you know we never <laughs> bet money no. for any reason. And this is not a Seagram's bet. No. And I can picture one thing happening with this bet. And I'll tell you once you tell the bet. Okay. So, folks, to lay this out between Greg Thompson and I, I started it off by just coming straight to... Because anytime you want to really get somebody, like you want to get them off kilter, you just start... You just you throw haymakers out of the gate before they even know they're coming. So you ambush them with a tirade about something you know they're passionate about, or at least that they differ in opinion. And then you, you catch them off guard... And then you just, you're like a dog with a bone. You don't let it go. And now it's 11 o'clock at night and they're trying to go to sleep. And you're still just needling them about it. And finally, just out of desperation, they'll cave. They'll cave if you want to take, if you want to make a bet with them. I bet him that if Dable has a similar third quarter adjustment issue, like he's had in every game so far this season, and that second half slump costs us a postseason victory, because he claims that this is, he goes, well, it's an issue, but it's not a glaring fatal flaw, quote unquote. And I said it is. I said this is absolutely going to get us killed when we play good football teams. And it happened this week, so I turned it on him. If it happens again in the postseason, the bet is for a steak dinner and cocktails at a white linen restaurant to the victor. See, I can picture this two different ways. So when you say steak dinner and cocktails at a white linen restaurant to the victor is what it has on our rundown sheet here. I'm picturing if it's Greg Thompson that has to pay the deed, you guys are going to like a Western Door or uh, Salvatore's. If it's you that has to pay the tab, you're going to Longhorn's. <laughs> And I just picture the both of you sitting across from each other, and uh, just like the Seinfeld episode, man hands, you got something on your face. <laughs> I, want, I want one of you to reach across the table. This is how impassioned I am by this, people. I took steak, I, I took steak aficionado Greg Thompson to task on the matter and essentially said, look, if you feel so strongly like Brian Dable's inability to adjust in this third quarter isn't going to kill us, Sure, then I'll get put your money where your mouth is. I think it will. You think it won't. If I'm right, the the, the person picks up the tab. We're going to go to a nice steakhouse and enjoy dinner. And I messaged him today and I said, don't act like there's not going to be a shellfish tower. Oh, you know that's coming. Shellfish towers. I want some Elijah Craig uh, uh, barrel select stock. Whoa, we're going to do it. We're going to do it gluttonous and big. And here's the best part, Chris. What Greg doesn't know is that I win either way. I win either way because I either get a free, delicious steak dinner 
with all the trimmings and enough booze to drown a horse, or the Buffalo Bills win a playoff game, in which case, I don't care what I spend on a steak dinner. Well, I mean, <laughs> the other half of this bet is we're here in Buffalo. Greg is in the bougie section of Cleveland, Ohio. I'll travel. Okay, that was going to be my, my question. Where Where is this taking place, in Cleveland or Buffalo? Winner has home field advantage. There you go. But to say that I'm down on Brian Dayball, enough that I'm willing to open my wallet to an extreme that I probably... Chris, you and I bet, what, dollar Seagrams? Yeah. That I'm willing to open my wallet to that degree in a bet against the man shows how down I am on him, so it shouldn't be a shock to anybody that he's our zero of the week. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. One of the things that bothered me the most this week about it is from the social media smart people. You know who they are, this cabal of uh, podcasts and Twitter follows. This concept that, quote unquote, all things can be true. It gets weaponized against anybody who wants to have an honest opinion or just speak how they feel emotionally. Rather than, hey, we need to dissect all of the rationale. Around. No, no, listen, I'm a football fan. I'm a man. I'm a drinker. I have emotions. I have feelings. And you're going to hear about him. What, what is it? Uh, Bill Burr. Bill Burr has that famous bit where he's just like, listen, people say I'm, what is it? Uh, uh, people say he's a blowhard. He goes, no, I'm not a blowhard. I just have a lot of opinions, and I need you to know all of them before you get to speak again. That's who I am, right? Daybowl is good, but Daybowl is bad. Both can be true. But I get, but if I get frustrated about that negative thing, the positive things get turned against you as if you somehow don't know what you're talking about or that you're making a mountain out of a molehill. This type of middle-of-the-rotary drives me insane. It's why I hate radio and TV sports coverage. Chris, they have no choice. They have no choice, right? Yeah. You worked in radio. Yes, I have. Okay. The people who went on air to talk about the sports in a professional capacity, there's a limit to how critical they're allowed to be, right? Yeah, well, it depends if they have a side gig with with a team. Okay, or if they have access. Yeah. I don't have to worry about any of that because I'm a fan. I'm a fan with a beer in my hand, and it, it drives me insane. Nobody talks about how they feel instead of trying to sound smart or not wanting to step on anyone's toes. I, and I, that's not to disparage Nate. It's not to disparage Greg or Eric. It's just pointing out that there's this there's this thing that exists. It's almost like a hedging of bets. You can't ever be wrong if you just keep pointing out the duality of a situation without acknowledging which of them you actually believe in. I'm not a goddamn professional analyst who has to kiss anyone's ass or make myself sound like the most thoughtful or pragmatic person in the room. Chris, no one will ever confuse me as either one of those, will they? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. I'm a man who loves a football team and has some, at times, well-informed opinions. Sometimes they're flawed and emotional ones. But I'm not going to apologize for any of it because I'm human. And let me table this conversation like this. What if instead of attacking Brian Dable by name alone, I simply laid out, since that's the thing that gets everybody all, all up in arms, Brian Dable's a good offensive coordinator. Yeah, well, he sucks at this one thing and it drives me insane. What if I phrase my criticism like this? Take the name out of the equation. You root for a football team that has a kicker 
Chris, that in a given game has just illustrated an ability to routinely hit 50-yard field goals. It's an incredibly advantageous weapon to have at your disposal, and it should serve as a security blanket for an offense if they run into trouble because they can keep chipping in points. Even if it's not the ideal touchdown, it can keep you in a football game. In order to take a 50-yard field goal attempt, you have to be at the 33-yard line. If you want to take a 54 or 55-yarder, like the ones that your kicker has made a few of already that game, you have to get to the 38-yard line, your opponent's 38-yard line. Now, if I told you that in half a whole half of football, your offensive coordinator couldn't find a way to at least get to your opponent's 38-yard line at any point except for the final drive of the game where a field goal doesn't do you any good anyway. If I framed it like that, with no name, no emotion tied to it, would you agree with me if I told you, hey, I think that guy did a poor job? Probably. Okay. Well, this time, that offensive coordinator would be Brian Dable, and I'm willing to say he does a poor job, and that I, I think that we all need to be very, very concerned about him coming out of halftime with no plan. No plan. Yeah, it'll, uh, it kind of sounds like, uh, our day could be done if we're ever gonna have, like, a touchdown to a two touchdown disadvantage coming out of halftime. And you can't it. you can't trust the guy to to build a to build a comeback. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out who did really well this week. And for me, the hero it's 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 a dual award for wide receivers: Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs. Here's the deal: I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big hairy American winning machine. <laughs> Winning machine is what Stefan Diggs is when it comes to how he approaches the game of football. I don't know the last time I watched a wide receiver this prolific in a Bills uniform. Do we have to go back to like the Molds era? Maybe uh, Lee Evans, Peerless Price. Eric Lee Molds. Evans didn't have. Lee Evans was good for a handful of routes, mostly he, deep routes. Mostly deep routes. He doesn't have Stefan Diggs's game. No, Diggs was was on point. And I was Stevie t- Johnson, not a terrible wide receiver. Yeah, I was telling but man, he doesn't have Diggs' stuff. No, I was telling you as, as you know, the Cardinals were driving for that that Hail Mary to get your phone out and start digging up all of the tweets you could use against Viking fans for <laughs> a whole whole request to trade by week 10 or Folks, any of that crap. Further proof that it's not just me. We are the pettiest Bills podcast in existence. We're always looking for ways to just dig. Just dig it, people. You wronged us? Yeah, yeah. We're vindictive, and we don't forget. But look at this wide receiver combination. They're electric, and every week it becomes clearer just how important their presence is for Josh Allen. When he needs a first down, it's probably one of those two guys. Yeah. When he needs a touchdown, over the last couple of weeks, it's been those two guys. Short of that one whip play that they like to throw to John Brown. Yeah. You just, you look at it. I mean, first of all, number one, if anyone in this game was going to be charged with breaking Patrick Peterson's ankles for a big touchdown, you'd assume it was Diggs, not Cole Beasley. <laughs> Yet this is the universe of lunacy that we live in. 
Cole Beasley, breaker of ankles. Yeah, he's been he's been known. owner of long blonde hair. Yeah, Blondie's been known to to do that. Even when he was with Dallas, I mean, he knows how to break your ankles at the start of a route. And then when it's crunch time, Diggs just has a nose for big plays and the talent to pull it off. Something that every when you look at every winning team, they have a couple guys like that at their disposal, right? Yeah. It takes more than just a clutch quarterback to be great. Otherwise, Aaron Rodgers would have three Super Bowls. Yeah. But he's spent years having no one at his disposal who's the same level of elite. Or at least the same level of, I don't even know what you want to call it, just clutch. Yeah, clutch gene. I mean, it takes clutch guys. And Diggs might be one of the best in the NFL in that regard. Look at this. Go back to his time with the Vikings. He makes that play against the Saints. And you say to yourself, that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. Now he tip pass and then he just runs away from everybody. But then this season you watch. And even though this was the first moment that Diggs was called on to make a big game winning play at the gun. He answered the bell. He's a guy who, when you need him, he'll be there. And we should be thankful for that. I mean, I've, I've, I, like I said, you're talking about like Eric Molds type stuff. I haven't seen this in my adult life since I could buy alcohol and watch the Buffalo Bills that they had a receiver who you just trusted could, much like DeAndre Hopkins did for the Arizona Cardinals, go out there and make the elite play no one else can. I mean, he burned Patrick Peterson in the process of that. Cole Beasley posting the third smallest average cushion by defensive backs for any qualifying wide receiver in Week 10, but he ended the day top 10 for separation, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. That underscores just how special his route running and hands are for this offense. I mean, that's absurd. Yeah, Bees had a couple of good routes, especially on that final drive, a couple of amazing catches. (sighs) That one where he went up for it. Oh, yeah, to get a first down, one-handed. How do you? I don't know how he got that, both feet in. How do you not want that guy on your team? If you're anybody, I go back to I was telling you and Mark the story during the game in April of last year. I took a cruise, and as I tend to do, you know, you listen to your crowd watching. It's me and my wife, and there's a bunch of just loud, boisterous, drunk cowboy fans. So I started talking to him because I was like, "Hey, you know football? I Did know football." Did you start? Talking to them, or did you just enter the conversation and start dictating everything? No, you know what it was? I was wearing the uh, bald eagle American flag Speedo, and yep. I, I literally just walked into the middle of their circle, and I go, hey, you guys are Cowboys fans? Yeah, Don Beebe says hello. And that's how the conversation, and they just started laughing, and I was like, yeah, that's right. That's how I walk into the room. <laughs> but so a couple of them got really upset. They were like, oh, uh, uh, not last April, but the April before last, talking about, oh, good luck with Cole Beasley. He's a me guy. He's a me guy. He doesn't he doesn't care about anybody else but himself. He's selfish. All he wants is stats, blah, 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 blah. Chris, tell me he's not one of the more elite slot-wide receivers in football right now. Could be the most elite. And then Beasley and Diggs finished week 10, number 7 and number 4, respectively. In catch percentage, with 84.6 and 91.90.1. Diggs has a 90.1 catch. Not, not only is he the best receiver on your team and getting a lot of attention, he catches 90% of what you throw in his general direction. Weapon! Game changer! 
If that doesn't get you a game ball from the Rock Pile Report podcast, I, I don't even know why we bother having one. <laughs> That's it. Final thoughts, Chris. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Just open a fresh beer. I see you've got a mostly full one there because you're dogging it. No, it's half. Yeah. Half. I'm working on it. <laughs> you're you're working like a government employee. <laughs> I see. I I've seen guys like you. Guys who work like that are out there working on the side of the road, leaning on a shovel for six hours. I know your type. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I do it. Over the course of my lifetime, the Bills have found a lot of ways to lose football games. They have. Yes. You know this. I mean, think. Think back to this. The wide right versus the Giants, we were children. That's not really... We weren't old enough to understand the gravity of that. For me, it starts Stevie Johnson's drop against the Steelers. I remember that. That was uh, difficult to to stomach. The backwards pass against the Titans. The Music City Miracle. I did not pay Jeff Goodhand $10 in middle school. (laughs) You welched on a bet? Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's a forward pass. Jeff Tool pick six against the Chiefs. I remember being in the stands for that. And oh, yeah. when it happened and they ran towards our end zone, I was like, no, no, no. And I took my shirt off and just like wrapped my face in it so I didn't have to see him cross the goal line. The playoff loss to the Texans, where you watch him sacked in the pocket and then he somehow escapes. Yeah. And now what's being coined is the Hail Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Here's the thing. You think about that, it goes farther. The Fitzpatrick throwing a pick in New England in 2012 at the goal line because, what was his name, uh, TJ, uh, TJ Graham? Yep. Ran the wrong route. In a game that my friends watched me drink a gallon of wine, a gallon <laughs> of cheap wine, and then said that they watched me experience every human emotion possible, and then I passed out. T.J. Graham was a gem. You know, we could have had Russell Wilson with that pick. The the give-it-to-them game. Ah, just give it to him. Nick Folk. Nick Folk on Monday Night Football. Leotis McKelvin fumbling. Oh, yeah, that. I remember that. That was awesome because we were watching the game. I was watching that Monday Night game at... um, God, I can't even remember. I don't even know what it's called now. Uh, it was Cheyenne Grill and Buckhead, and I was seeing my first redhead. And sh- I was at the bar, and sh- she was like, kind of invited herself. And I was like, I don't really want you to see me in, in this state of, like, we just met. I don't want you watching a Bills game with me just yet. So she just shows up to the bar because she knows where it is. And then that happens, and like, I, I just left. I didn't tell her I was leaving. She was, she like sent me a text like where'd you go and I was like I left. Like that's on you for coming out. I warned you. When you think about all of these losses, take the Arizona game out of the equation. Out of all these losses, which of them would you say was the worst to soak in as a fan in real time? Probably uh Houston because it was a playoff game. Okay. So that was the hardest pill to swallow. Yeah. So if that's the worst of that bunch, take into account yesterday's finish, which has already been given the name, the Hail the Murray. 
how does this one feel compared to that? It's the hail. The hail Murray is that's just a hundred percent luck. How that happened? That's all that is is luck. This and it's not for a playoff game. And you know, if it's going to come down to tiebreakers, this game's not going to matter. Considering all of the past losses, many of which come on the back of absolute stupidity and failure akin to the butt fumble, this one was simply a combination of too little too late from the Buffalo Bills offense and just a combination of amazing plays by both teams down the stretch. Someone who's a curmudgeon like me, who just a cold black heart, it's hard for even me to stay angry about that. Our elite players went out and did their job. Arizona's elite players went out and did their job. They held final serve, and that made the difference in the game. That's it. Peter Schrager talks about it in the intro to the show. Stefan Diggs' play, none of what Josh Allen did on that final drive is diminished, simply because Murray threw a deep ball, and DeAndre Hopkins made one of the best plays of his entire career. None of that is diminished. It's just a thing that happened. Those guys get paid. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the highest paid wide receivers in football. Yeah. He's one of the most talented wide receivers in football. Without question, he is he's a force for them. And we held we if we had held final serve, I believe we win that football game. But we didn't. We left too much time on the clock. And a whole Concert of things went wrong. But oddly enough, outside of my offensive coordinator-related frustrations, I, I bet you guys can already hear it in my voice, I got over I got over the loss pretty quickly. Which I'm almost positive is not only in part due to watching Lamar Jackson and the Ravens just shit the bed in Foxborough, but also because in the grand scheme of things, eight and two and a win over Arizona would have been a you know, it would have been a, a quote unquote great to have. It wasn't a must-have. To your point, it's not going to factor in. It's not a conference loss. So it doesn't factor into when you get to tiebreakers for the postseason. Unless it's, hey, unless we get to common opponents. But even then, if you've gone that far, you're probably not winning the division. No. And I don't think that any of the five-win football teams can hang with our stuff over the course of the back half of the season. Yeah, no one can hang with our stuff. Allen, once again, not only proved he's built for big moments, but that unlike the Houston game, Diggs is clearly a difference maker for us in those moments. That alpha that Josh can rely on to make spectacular plays at the same pace that he does. I mean, (laughs) I think that he, I think Allen, between the two, between him and Dable, has bought way more cachet at this point, for his performance in terms of consistency. Yes, Josh's interceptions were untimely. It was also his first multi-interception game since we played Tennessee. And one of those, you and I both know, wasn't his fault. Yeah. Going back beyond that, you have to go back to week four of the 2019 season to find the last time he threw two picks in a single game. If that's not consistency, I don't know what is. And I think that he's going to improve in that regard by natural progression going forward. And aside from Brown and his knee injury, which is obviously going to require some watching, the Bills escaped to the bye week without any significant injuries, which is kind of a boon for the team finally looking like they're getting healthy on offensive line and defense. No one likes a loss. Obviously, the teams behind us gained ground in the conference race, 
And Miami, as we'll talk about in this week's AFC's Roundup podcast, seems to be inexorably closing the gap between us in terms of the division. This tweet from Matt Perino got me today. The Bills have played seven teams with a record of over 500 this season. They're four and three in those games, and if it not if it wasn't for that Hail Mary, they'd be five and two. No other playoff team has played more than five. Dolphins played four. The Steelers have played three. So if you want to talk about who's real and who's not, why would you, after a loss like this, how could you, you can't doubt the Buffalo Bills. No. But we're 7-3, and three, even despite the criticisms that I have for this team. And they're finding ways to win, and they're ironing things out on defense. And here's another stat. The Bills are 24-2 and two under Sean McDermott when leading at halftime. DeAndre Hopkins played for both of the opponents in those situations. Uh, can we blame Bill O'Brien at this point? Yeah. Bill, this is, is your fault. It is Bill O'Brien's fault. DeAndre Hopkins shouldn't even be here. If you weren't so bad at your job that you willed this monstrosity into existence by trading away an all-worldwide receiver for a, a toad of a running back. <laughs> oh, I feel like we should have almost made him the zero of the week for this. We could have. When you toss in the fact that McDermott is undefeated coming out of a bye as head coach of the Buffalo Bills, I like our art. I, I like our odds to at least start the back end of this schedule and ramp up to the postseason on a solid note. If our defense can continue finding some kind of continuity, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a football fan who doesn't see us as not just favorites in the AFC East, but as a team that could really be a force in the postseason. So instead of crying about it, let's head into the the bye week on a high note with a frosty beverage. I want to throw in a little PS here. We talk about this every season. The fact that the Buffalo Bills play in one of the least affluent, most at-risk sports cities in America, according to Forbes magazine. Forbes takes a look at local income levels for every sports team across the country and then ranks them based on how, how well financially that city is set up to support its sports team and keep it viable, just based on things like unemployment rates, things like median household income, average attendance for games. The Buffalo Bills, despite leading the NFL in attendance, I mean, the Buffalo Sabres have had a rough go, but in both sports end up in the, we are one of the top five most at risk of losing one of our sports teams, cities in the country. I think you've said it before in one of our shows that Forbes... Did all the the math on it, and we technically should be able to support 0.5 sports franchises, and we have two. And we have two of them. And yet, whenever you hear a story around the NFL about football fans donating literally hundreds of thousands of dollars, half a millions of dollars, to offer support to charities that are the favorites of NFL football players, from opponents' quarterbacks who changed the course of our franchise's history to ones wearing our colors who might just make some themselves. 
It's always Buffalo, New York. It's always Buffalo. We're not LA. We're not Chicago. We're not even Minnesota. We're Buffalo, New York. A city full of people who don't have a ton of cash to spare. Things aren't great here economically. It's not like the city's a booming metropolis. But that's what being from Buffalo is about. It's like, look, I may not have everything, but if I have something extra, I'm willing to help someone. You help your neighbor, right? That's why we're the city of good neighbors. This, what, over the past two weeks, we've raised almost $600,000 now? Yeah, Arizona's getting involved, too. You tweeted that out today, that Arizona fans are now jumping on it. <laughs> Getting in after the game. They were just like, we want to get in on this uh, Oshai Children's Hospital thing that you guys are doing in support of Josh Allen and his grandmother passing. That's who we are. And it's, I love it. And I think it's proof that not only can this stuff be contagious, but it's also proof that I mean, think about how many transplants from Buffalo go elsewhere, but yeah. still feel like they're connected enough to this to participate in something like that. Most of the time, it's people that uh, graduate from high school. They go away to college, and then they move to whatever city to for their first ever job in the real world, and they stay connected with this team. You know, sometimes I've, I've seen a lot of people. It's happened in my family with my cousin where, you know, you, you go – you leave you leave Buffalo and, and get your first job and, and bounce around from city to city. And then the time comes, you want to get married and have a family. And that happened with my cousin. He eventually moved back to Buffalo to specifically to raise a family because he didn't want to raise a family anywhere else except right here in Buffalo, New York. I'll tell you, it's, there's, there's things I hate sometimes about living in this state. I do. <laughs> Chris, you hear you hear about it a lot of times. <laughs> yes. I've been waterboarded a time or two. But at the same time, there's nowhere else I'd, I'd live. Because these are the things that no matter where you go, you're going to take with you. And it, this, if nothing else, is proof that you can, you can change the world. You can't change the world. But you can change the world for other people in a lot of small ways. But that's something we do here in Buffalo. Just it's 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 ingrained in you, and you don't lose it when you leave. And if anything, you take it with you, and you start to change the world around you little by little. And I think that us—I mean, Chris, football players, Major uh, Ed Werder from ESPN talking about it—they're just now taking notice of something that's been going on here in Buffalo. Now that now that we're nationally relevant. It's like everybody's taking notice of something that we've grown up with. That's a part of us. It's a part of most people who grow up here. Just this sense of charity and this sense of just love for everybody around you. Because even if it's not everybody, you don't love everybody, but when someone's down, you give them a hand. I'm just incredibly proud of this fan base. I'm proud to be a resident of Buffalo. I'm proud to raise my kid here. I'm hoping someday he knows this and that he grows up. Like, if I can instill anything, I mean, it's that. That idea that we're the city of good neighbors and you take care of each other. Even if, even if it's, it doesn't matter whether it's Josh Allen, your quarterback, or the neighbor across the street 
who can't shovel her own driveway. That's it. You guys are impressive. And for that, cheers. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Moving on with the podcast, we have a brand new segment, something I'm really happy about. We're going to roll into what were Chris's bad bets of the week. Here's an idea. Why don't you give me half the money you were going to bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. What can I do with $5? See, I don't know. Buy a bullet and rent a gun? (laughs) (laughs) Chris, what did you lose money on sports on this weekend? We just basically talked about it. It was the Bills game. I had a four-play parlay. I had the (laughs) Bills and Dolphins on the money line, as well as the Dolphins and Chargers over 49. It was 50. And then the Bills and Cardinals over 55 and a half. <laughs> it's hysterical to me that as a 36-year-old man, you've decided now is the time to start sports betting. I won $600 on Saturday. so How much have you lost, though? How much have I gained? Cumulatively, how much have you lost? Do you know? Plus like 250 Okay. I had an uncle. He's actually, it's it's my dad's cousin. So I don't even know what you would call that guy. Maybe he's not even related to me then, technically. Who knows? It's your cousin. 
what I know is that this is the guy who would go to the casino. Every time he comes into town from Florida, he'll go to the casino and he'll come out the next day and go, oh, yeah, I spent seven hours at the casino and I came away. This is how he talks, too. I'm not exaggerating. Oh, yeah, you know, I came. I came back and I, uh, you know, I got, uh, I, I walked out of there with like uh, $3,000 in my, you know, I, I, was, I won $3,000. And what he won't tell you is that he spent $5,000 to win that 3000 and that's what I'm afraid of for you, Chris. Is that no, you're going to keep betting? I'm in the green. <laughs> although, although I will tell the, I will tell this story. When I was 18, I don't think I don't even think I had my my own car. But the day I turned 18, I drove up to the BP gas station on Arnold Mill and Crab Apple, and I told my mom, I was like, I'm just going to go to the gas station because I'm 18 and I can legally do things. So I'm going to buy. 18 scratch off tickets because I'm 18 and my before leaving my mom said I was addicted to gambling. <laughs> so I'm addicted to gambling even though I haven't legally gambled yet. I don't think you're an addict. I just think you're dumb because you're betting on things and you're bad at it. Oh, I won. I I won on Saturday. I was one off on Sunday and one off the last 3 Saturdays in a row. Which is why I'm going to ask you, what are you looking at this weekend as potential bets? Um, Maryland and Michigan State, LSU and Arkansas are probably the two that that I'm that I'm looking at. I'll generally bet college, and then if I win, then I'll bet another round on the NFL, which is what I did. I I, I was so I was eleven seconds away from. Uh, you know, starting the week with $1,100. See, folks, the reason I bring this to your attention is because I want you all to hear the things he's betting on so you can avoid them like the plague because Chris is cursed. But with <laughs> Chris, Godspeed. Good luck to you. And so as we head into the bye week, on the heels of that crazy Arizona game, we welcome back to the show... Buffalo Bills captain, Mr. Reed Ferguson. Reed, how are you doing tonight? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, man. It's been a, been a crazy couple weeks since the last time we talked, eh? Oh, yeah. So, Buffalo, Arizona. Yeah, as we kind of wrap up our wrap up our recap of this game, first of all, congratulations on your first tackle of 2020. <laughs> I appreciate it. I was, uh, yeah, had, had to kick it into high gear for that one. Chris and I are watching the game, and we're seeing you coming in. Chris starts yelling before the tackle even got made. He's like, oh, come on, get there. He's fist pumping. It was like we were watching the Kentucky Derby. We're like, oh, man, he's so close. What was going- probably what it felt like to me during the play. I felt like I was coming around turn four. <laughs> So I know that they don't really nobody keeps stats as far as tackles for the long snapper, but that's got to feel pretty good, right? To get that one, <laughs> finally. Oh sure, even though even though I didn't, uh, you know, wrap him up and and get him to the ground, I knocked him out of bounds. So it's you know, but it doesn't. You know, all it says on the stat sheet is you got a tackle. It doesn't say what kind of tackle it was. So. <laughs> Does anybody ever give you a hard time about that? No, not at all. Uh, that's see, I feel like, and I guess that's that's the thing. I feel like I would I would heckle a little bit, just a little bit. 
Just a little bit. But no, it was impressive. We saw you turn on the Jets, and that's what it reminds me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy, he he's still one of the premier athletes in the world to be playing NFL football. Right, a 4 4 40. Jesus. So now. Yeah, 4 4 30. <laughs> so we talked about it in this week's podcast, and a few weeks ago with you privately, how absurd the fan frustration with Tyler Bass was. And how flawed this concept was that you could just, quote-unquote, go find someone new on waivers who was going to be anything better than what Bass had the potential to be, both for you and from fans and some members of Bill's Twitter. I mean, there was people out there. That, Chris, how did this idea even get legs? Do you remember? Like, where did the, who spawned this? He missed I, two kicks against the Jets. And I feel like for some people out there in podcasting and Bill's Twitter who people wonder how they got check marks and why, this suddenly became a, a narrative. I, I don't know why. I don't understand it. But how satisfying was it for you knowing the day you guys had on special teams on Sunday? Uh, you know, very satisfying. And I think, um, you know, it, there, you're always – looking for room to improve I guess for speaking on all phases because there's definitely some things that we'd like to have back um, in terms of the kickoff the kicking game on, on kickoff and, and the kickoff return and and uh, punt and punt return so uh, but you know we, we had we had great effort and, and and some great plays on on some of those phases but uh, you know specifically speaking to the field goal unit you know the the protection was great. Tyler was great. Bojo was great. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to do my, my third of the operation. But, um, you know, Tyler, Tyler had a, a, he had a very good warm up, uh, in pregame. And, and, uh, you know, he's, it's, it's, I think it's starting to click for him a little bit. Starting. But yeah, impre- impressive to see him, him reset his PR three times before the, before halftime. Man, I'll tell you this. The confidence it takes to eat. I mean, a 58-yard field goal is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, I went back. The last person to attempt and make a 58-yard field goal was Dan Carpenter. Now, were you snapping at that point, or were you still on the practice squad? Well, it depends on what year that was. If it was in 16, I mean, I, I, uh, I never snapped to Dan in a regular season game. Because uh, they signed Steven in twenty before the seventeen season, so um, probably would have been Garrison before me. I mean, just to see that thing. I mean, because after that first one, when it kisses the upright and bounces in, you're like, all right, I have bounces went our way. I have a good feeling about this. Yeah, he hits that. 50, no he hits that fifty eight yarder. That for a kid, for a young kid kicking like that, his confidence has to be sky high right now. Did he flex at the sideline like he did during the Jets game? I think he, uh, I think he just flexed to his teammates a little bit. I'm pretty sure I saw a picture of that, but, um, yeah, I had to, I had to tone him down a little bit after he, uh, you know, did that to the Jets sideline a couple weeks ago, but no, it's good. I mean, it's it, anytime you're, you know, you're a rookie and you make, uh, some big kicks like that in a few games, you're, you're, you know, you, you start to come out of your shell a little bit. And I think that's what's happening and it's good to see because he's, uh, certainly building his confidence. Now, speaking of confidence, we talked a little bit here about fans kind of hand-wringing about when the COVID news broke. 
and finding out that in a game against a team like Arizona with all of those weapons, we were going to be losing three of our best defensive backs. What was the mood in the locker room like finding that? Because I'll say this, the way the team played, it, it didn't seem like anyone from the players to the coaches really seemed phased by it. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, with, with, without being, uh, rude or anything to the, to the fans, of course, but I think that that speaks to why, you know, players are, you know, why we're in the locker room and why fans are, are watching the game. I, you know, to having the, you know, I say that with the utmost respect to our fan base because we have some very smart fans out there, but, you know, no, no, there's, there's very few players that that could go out the day before a game and, and and crush a team, you know, and I think that speaks to the depth that we have on our team right now. Um, we have a lot of guys. I mean, you look at Dane Jackson on that first drive. He he was one-on-one, you know, third and goal with Hopkins on the right side and made a great play and knocked down a touchdown pass. Um, so I think that that speaks to the depth that we have and the guys that we have in our locker room to be able to overcome uh, some of the obstacles that w- that COVID is is bringing this season. No, but I, I think the, uh, to to speak on your question a little more, I think the over. I just think the the overreaction sometimes is is exactly is exactly that. I think, um, you know, I get. I don't know how I don't know how you say it, but maybe uh, you know just ha- have some trust in the coaching staff and the in the team more. I guess maybe, but um, you know, you know, I think. Sunday was was a great example of uh, you know losing a couple guys and and the, you know the sky didn't fall out because we knew we had uh, we were we were prepared and and guys were ready to fill in. I mean, I'll say this because I and you're correct. I mean, you're saying everything. You're 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 very you're being very political about this, and I understand why. And you're doing a great job of it. Allow me to say it. People sometimes get a little bit too sensitive about things. And when it comes down to it, there's you guys have a killer instinct and an instinct for this game and an understanding of just the mentality that it takes to be a professional athlete that no one else walking around out here in my shoes does. <laughs> so it makes sense that you guys would be a little bit more unflappable than that. I think the reason Bills fans take it so personally is because we've watched decades of Bill's teams where something like that would have just left us rudderless. We would have been like a rowboat with one oar, both from an X's and O's standpoint and in terms of the mentality that you saw this Buffalo Bills team had no problem bringing to the football field. I found it refreshing, even even though we probably shouldn't be surprised by any of this at this point, considering under Sean McDermott, this team has has its head on a swivel. Now, the bye week and beyond... First of all, yeah. Per- hold on, and let me and let me let me speak to to what you just said, and just because there's some, something that came to my mind. I think, um, you know, it, it, obviously, you know, I've been here for five years, but people that have grown up here and, and follow the team their whole life, obviously, is, is a completely different perspective. But I think, um, you know, basically, and you said it, Coach McDermott has has changed his team, and I think in his press conference, I saw a quote. Uh, where he basically said that same thing. You know, we have, he, he and his coaching staff have come in and changed this place for the better. And I think that that's something that, uh, that a lot of fans are starting to realize because, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm trying to play both sides here. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. some fans that overreact, obviously, but 
there's some fans that uh, that that understand what Coach McDermott and and Bean and and all the coaches that they brought in have have brought to Buffalo and have brought to this team and and the players too. A lot of the players that have turned over and we're you know we're basically a new uh, somewhat of a new team that we were four years ago. But um, you know I I, I think uh, I, I think exactly what you were talking about. I think it speaks to um, how Coach McDermott how much they've changed uh, this place to be basically a complete 180 of what uh, of what fans have have expected um, from this team for for the you know past I don't know what 20 years and now that you know that that mindset is kind of changing but um, yeah just I, I was thinking about that while you were talking so I wanted to share listen no I, I love it that that's why we pick your brain about this stuff and it's funny because you talk about the they're being overreacting fans and they're being smart fans you've seen me be both you know me to be both and sometimes within the same 30 right. minute span <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean it's not it's, I mean you, and I'm not saying that obviously as, as a bad thing I mean, no, of I'm, course I'm a fan of of uh, you know of Atlanta United soccer team I'm a fan of LSU football, you know, now mm-hmm. LSU basketball, and they do stuff, and I'm like, "What the heck are you doing?" And and I don't because I don't understand because I'm on the fan side, so it <laughs> happens to everybody. And I'm and, I, and that's you know part of the reason I'm coming on y'all's podcast is try to impart uh, knowledge and, and stuff with 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 you know a small fraction of the fan base that that happens to be listening to these podcasts. So that's you know and, and, and so just explaining that I'm not obviously not would never pick on fans you know or anything like that just explaining that um you know overreacting is part of is part of of being such a diehard of any team that you support of course well if anything you're passionate about you're gonna it's hard to separate that but the good news is we've reached the bye week it's a chance for everybody i think to just take a deep breath and relax chris say it with me Goose Fraba. Cheers. So with that in mind, we're heading into the bye week now. One of the interesting things to come out of this, Miami is closing the gap on Buffalo pretty much every week at this point. And especially since we're going to have to sit here essentially on the couch as a football team. And we as fans are going to be keeping tabs in that game to see if Miami can actually come to within half a game of the Bills' lead in the division race, which almost seems weird to say. This is your first, in your NFL career, your real, your first real taste of being in a, div- a race for the lead in the division. How does it feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool, um, you know, certainly to be on top. You know, in week, uh, what are we, week going into week 11, the bye week. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good feeling, and I think it's a testament to how hard we've worked and, and the work we've put in on and off the field this off season and in the past couple of years to, to kind of build up to where we are now. But, um, I mean, by no means is the job done until until week 17 is over. So, um, you know, we can we can look at the standings all, all we want, but, uh, you know, we know Miami and even New England are, you know, they're, they're not, they're not gone till they're gone. So, um, you know, we still have one more game against, against each of them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting, obviously, to be in the position we're in, but we know that, uh, both teams are, are on our tail and, and there's a lot of games to be played. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of my perspective on it at the moment. I mean, it has to be fun 
to finally be in that driver's seat. You know, pretty much for, it is for fans because, and I'm sure being on the other side of it for you yeah, too. Yeah, no doubt. Being in the driver's seat of the division for the first time in, Chris, how many years? 95 was Nin- the last time we won the, uh, a playoff game, I think. So 94, 95. I think 95 we won the division. So since Chris and I were children and you weren't even born yet. Yeah, he was born in 94. Born? Blake wasn't born. Okay. So, and then your just your time here in Buffalo, being in the driver's seat, that has to be fun. But it's interesting to me that Miami is the team, right? Miami is the team now that's kind of neck and neck with us for this division, which is fun for a lot of fans because it brings back stuff from our childhood, back from the 90s, when it was always the Bills and the Dolphins jockeying for the division. And the Patriots were there, but they weren't really con- like they, they weren't as big of a threat. I don't think we, I, I don't even remember thinking about them as a kid, Chris. No, they didn't come become a threat until uh, the mid '90s when uh, Kraft bought the team. So, two questions: One, do players because we're talking about since it's kind of come up during this show, the dichotomy between pl- fans and their understanding or their emotions towards the game and towards. Twitter and towards news and players and the way that they view things like that. You've got pro football talk comes out in their weekly power rankings and they put the Miami Dolphins number five ahead of the Buffalo Bills. Now, for you as a player, you hear that. Do you do you guys as athletes just disregard this completely (laughs) or is it something that becomes bulletin board material? What is it for you guys? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to, you know, pro football talk. That guy, uh, I don't even what Florio, what is that his name? Mike Florio. Um, he's got a bunch of opinions that I think he just puts out there to rile people up, which like <laughs> clickbait and stuff. But uh, I mean, I think power rankings are, are are pretty much just that. They're just something that a lot of uh, companies or you know media companies, ESPN and NFL Network, and they just put it out there for people to talk about it, really. But um, is that the way you, know, you view most? Week. Is that the way you guys view most things that are said in the press? Because I know Bills fans specifically. It's almost like Chris. It's a cottage industry in sports journalism. Yeah, talk poorly about the Buffalo Bills because their fans will read, click on your articles. They will respond. They will give you interactions, and all they do is they feed this machine. <laughs> it exists here. I have to feel like players are much more dismissive of this stuff, right? Yeah, and I think I think the fans are, are like that because they're so um, they're so thirsty for uh, you know for success. I think that um, you know the the fans and the way that Bills Mafia you know represents our team uh, on on the outside. I think they they deserve um, you know good things to happen to their football team. So um, I don't think it's a I don't think it's people being sensitive as, as much as people may say that that's what they think it is. I think it's um, I think it's just fans, you know, when they see something written about our team or whatever that may be that they don't like, I think they're going, I think it's, it's not um, it's not people being soft and defensive. I think it's just people wanting to uh, maybe provide knowledge or understanding because um you know, but you know, we we usually get short into the stick on the media side of things, and not, you know, there's, there's been plenty of stuff put out over the years that has either been incorrect or wrong, or, or just because 
uh, you know, people don't put in the, the, the enough time to to do the to do the research on 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 our team or whatever it is. I mean, I think I saw a couple of years ago that um, I think maybe two or three years ago when Micah and, and Poyer were were really balling out. I you know maybe their second year here, um, and towards the end of the season, somebody had put out a uh, some kind of you know safety rankings or something and. And they put, you know, two guys that were that played like, you know, multiple years prior that weren't even on the team anymore. So it's like, you know, are you are you even really paying attention? You're not even really paying attention to the games because those guys haven't played here in, in five years. So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, that that I think that kind of plays into uh, the the fan thing that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's it. So what I want everyone to take away from this, the reason I asked that question. If those guys don't care, then neither should we. So let's all calm down. (laughs) Let's all just take a deep breath. When you see something inflammatory from a national journalist and you don't like it because it's slanted against the Buffalo Bills, or it even seems like a perceived slight, goose frub. Take a deep breath, let it go, and profit. (laughs) Walk away. Save your time. Save your frustration for far more important things. One of the more interesting dynamics for you personally, it's Miami that seems to be neck and neck with the Bills now for the 2020 AFC division title. And your brother is the, I'd say, pretty successful long snapper for the Miami Dolphins. Knowing how this kind of Dolphins resurgence and you guys on top and this is becoming a race, obviously your brothers and you talk. Do you ever talk about, do you guys ever talk about this dynamic here or do you just keep it, I mean, you have to, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're, we, you know, we talk every week and, um, you know, we're, we're obviously keeping up with each other's, uh, success and the, you know, personally or, or, or their team success, excuse me, success. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the kid seems to find success with whatever team he's on. I mean, he won the freaking national championship last year and now they're, you know, they're on our heels in the division. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, you know he's he's snapping really well, and, uh, and you know from from a brother's perspective, it's great to see that his team is is winning. But from a from a Bills from from a player's perspective on the Buffalo Bills, you know we 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 want to make sure we keep winning so we can keep them uh, you know keep keep Miami at bay. So, uh, but no, it's it's you know it's always going to be uh, competitive between us, regardless of what year it is. I mean that's. Chris, that's brothers right there. Yeah. I mean, me and my brothers, you see, Reed and his brothers seem like... But they do it without swearing at each other. Oh, or fist fights or... Correct. Especially on holidays, like... Yeah. <laughs> they're better people than me and my brothers are. But that's okay, because yeah. I still love my brothers. I just love the fact that this, this dynamic between you, your brother, it's just, it almost seems Shakespearean, the way it lays out, that the two of you guys are now playing on opposite teams, which, from what you said earlier on in the year, that you and Blake have never played for opposing teams before. You guys have always been teammates. So this has Correct. to be kind of a weird dynamic, both for you and your family, no? Yeah. If there's been any uh, clashing of heads, but I think uh, you know they're you know they're treating it you know like any other any other week. You know, we're, there's only two weeks a year where it really gets complicated uh, in terms of uh, rooting preferences. But um, 
No, I mean it's you know I'm I'm rooting for Blake to do well. The team, you know, is it's that's a different story. But uh, as long as Blake's doing well, I'm I'm happy. So as we head into the bye, has the vibe in the locker room changed over the course of the last two games? Knowing that even though you went one and one in those two games, you guys went toe to toe with two of the NFL's best teams. Certainly, certainly two teams that are more dangerous on paper than a handful of the teams still to come on our schedule and performed really well in those two contests. What do you guys all, what do you think as a team you guys are walking into the bye? I mean, that has to come as a positive, right? I mean, the energy in the room has to be, it seems like you guys are coming on at the right time. Yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, to, to basically be be blunt about it, I mean we're a tip pass from being eight and two, uh, and and going into the bye and and coming you know, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean you know we 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 played well you know last week in Seattle and won that game and uh, you know I think uh, we played well enough to to beat Arizona, but like you said you know at the beginning of of the podcast I think. Um, you know, Hopkins is one of the best in the league. You know, those, you know, Kyler Murray's no slash himself. So they get paid. Know, guys, too. <laughs> guys make, guys make plays. They get paid too. Right. People, you know, I, th- I think that's, a, you know, a, another thing that a lot of people maybe understand, but fail to realize sometimes is that, you know, they have, they, they're getting paid millions too, right? Like those, those guys are some of the highest paid guys in the league. So they're going to make plays when, you know, when it counts as well, you're not, you're not always going to win all of the close ones. So, um, but yeah, obviously that, you know, that certainly is the aim, but, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, um, you know, kind of, we're, we're, we're over Arizona. We're kind of done with that game 24 hour rule. Um, and, and kind of trying to enjoy the bye week now, even though we don't get to travel, but, uh, you know, kind of check out for a little bit, enjoy, enjoy some time off and, and get ready for uh, the Chargers coming to town next week. And so I guess that's my final question. In a COVID kind of tainted (laughs) bye week, where normally this is where players would, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody would leave town to go visit their families, go travel, take their families on a short vacation, do something. That's not possible anymore. So with all of that taken away, what what do you have planned for your kind of staycation, if you will, for the bye week? Yeah, I think um, I mean I'll get some stuff done around the house, really, and uh, you know probably get some Christmas shopping done. But um, other than that, I mean we you know we're 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 pretty limited, especially uh, in terms of doing stuff with teammates and and stuff like that because uh, we're st- now that we had those positive tests. On Saturday, we're in the intensive protocols here for a little bit. So, um, you know, probably just just lay low and, uh, yeah, like I said, get some get some Christmas shopping done and just uh, you know some some honeydew list items. Uh, get some of those done. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, I'm gonna take some time and and enjoy the time off. Chris, is it just me or did he sound like Will Ferrell from old school? I might go to Bed Bath and Beyond. I just don't know if we're gonna have time. I, <laughs> I don't know if we'll have enough time. 
<laughs> Reed, we love you, and that's the best part about this is you're you're just one of the dudes, and that's what I love about talking to you about this stuff. I know you're going to be on the uh, the Xbox machine. I think is your flavor of choice, and I know our absolutely, and I know our listeners are gamers. What's your game of choice? What's your gamer tag? And where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah. So, um, and, I, and as many times as I've reached, as I've uh, as I've said this and shared my uh, gamer tag, I don't think I've had anybody hit me up about playing. So, uh, if anybody wants uh, wants the business on FIFA, you can find me on Xbox uh, Snapflow Fifty. Uh, that was my college number. I made my gamer tag when I was in college. Um, and on Twitter, I'm Snapflow69. All right, if you can go follow our captain, Reed Ferguson, on the Twitter, at Snapflow69. Before we close the show, Chris, as a matter of formality, we talked about your bad bets earlier. Well, we both made a pair of bad bets this week. We did. And for that reason, I'm going to ask you to open the fridge and hand me a Calypso Colado. Oh, God, you're going... You're going blue. I would rather have coconut. Oh, God. I, my stomach's already churning just thinking about it. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. And I'll, I'll grab a uh, Jamaican Me Happy. Oh, the blue shovel. Here it comes. But we, well, we so have to... I bet I took the bills in last week's bet, and you could have escaped unscathed, but you couldn't help yourself, could you? No, I was like... You were in a gambling mood and you were high. You were high because you had just won on college football and you figured, hey, I can't lose. So you decided to bet your old boy Drew Gear in the middle of a third quarter slump, not thinking that I know the Buffalo Bills a little bit more intently than you do. No, 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 no. That's not That's not how that goes. That goes <laughs> because that was one of those things where you're highly emotional and that's the best time to get you on a Seagram's bet. Yeah. Because it, we were up... 23 to 9 with about five minutes to go. And then you were complaining to me, like, oh, they tied here. You got to drink a Seagram's. No, 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 no. The bet was Arizona winning at the end of the third quarter. A tie still means you drink. And then uh, I think they were down four, and then they scored with like eight seconds left in the third. So Eight seconds left in the third. You You're making me happy. You come at the king, you better not miss. Folks... <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week. It was a hell of a podcast. Huge shout out to Reed. I love that guy. I love that guy. I, we, we're looking forward to his uh, gender reveal. Yeah. For his impending child. That's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe we'll get him back here on the podcast and we can talk about it. Folks, this week, the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo area, everything is going well for us. Even at 7 and th- Chris, at 7 and 3. Week 10, going into week 11, you're still happy about it, correct? Yeah. Why wouldn't you be? So everyone needs to just take a deep breath, relax, and focus on the fact that we cannot lose the division. We can't. Something we're going to talk about in this week's AFC East Roundup podcast. You can't lose the division this week, so let's heal up. Let's all just relax, take a week off. And get back to business next week. Speaking of which, next week, later this week, our AFC East Roundup podcast is going to be probably one of the my favorite things we've done this season in podcasting, which is the AFC East Bros reunion show. 
the original pioneers of the AFC East-centric podcast, are going to join us for I would say part two, because this one was, this was a pretty self-indulgent podcast. It was just me and Chris. And then we get to talk to our friend, Buffalo Bills Captain Reed Ferguson. And now we get to go talk to, our, to Chris. <laughs> Our, our friends Gary and Kyle. Yeah, Kyle and Gary Smith. They they did the AFC East Bros podcast, and they started around the same time that that we did. And they're I think they're I would put them as the first two people we met within the podcasting community on Twitter. Kyle came on our show a lot to 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 cover the Jets. They're just they're just great people, brothers. Kyle, a Jet fan. Gary, a Bills fan. Very different people. Kyle. School teacher, an immaculate beard, and he has a ton of sweaters in his wardrobe. <laughs> he wears a lot of sweaters. Yeah. Bill Cosby level sweater game. Meanwhile, Gary, Gary, he has an a. He looks like he would be. He got like he was the last rejection of Jersey Shore. <laughs> he does. He does, and he's got twenty four inch pythons. He's got. Uh, he has legitimately has an arcade in his garage, and he thinks that Yokozuna is a top five wrestler. The guy, the guy sat on people and could do a thrust kick. He was Big also wolf. an MMA fighter. Yeah, yeah. He could, okay, he could fight me. But I love these people, and I'm looking so much, so much forward to just reconnecting with them and getting to talk football. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you go check that podcast out. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who remember that show, Chris. Cheers on the last of our Seagrams. Cheers to you guys. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That was Reed Ferguson. And this has been your Rock Power Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.